there was a period where we couldn't see the wood for the trees. And I think we questioned whether we had bitten off more than we could chew by going down this different route. And would it be easier to sort of go back to the framework we had, but perhaps put different threads running through it? And I think we did spend a few weeks toying with that. And it just didn't feel like that was going to bring about the shift that I wanted as a new leader. Hi, I'm Belden Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist, the podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. I'm very pleased to welcome Sarah Sutcliffe, Chief Executive Officer of RYA, to The Purposeful Strategist. Sarah talks about the multiple roles they play as a national sports governing body. She describes the journey she and her team went on to discover the purpose that pulled these puzzle pieces together and how they developed a fundamentally different strategy that shouldn't come as a big surprise to their staff and key stakeholders. Please join me for this informative, honest and inspiring episode. So, Sarah, welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. Hi, Belden. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's great to have you. Um, can you tell us a bit about yourself and about what the Royal Yachting Association does? Yeah, sure. So I'm the chief executive of the Royal Yachting Association, or the RYA, as we generally refer to it, mm-hmm. which is the national governing body for sailing and other boating activity here in the UK. Mm-hmm. For those who might not know exactly, probably including me, what does a governing body do? That's a really good question. I think most governing bodies of sports probably have come out of a need 100, 150 years ago, maybe even longer, to codify rules by which participants can take part in competitive sport. It has evolved, obviously, a lot over that time. And now, very much, we are a really quite complex business. Not only do we uh, effectively govern the sport and through that provide rules and regulations by which it can take part. But we work through our network of clubs and recognized training centers to provide support for developing and bringing people into the sport. We act as an educator. We provide a lot of training schemes. And actually, the RYA, we've also very much branched into sort of public affairs work. So we're working to influence government on policy around the environment, around safety regulations. We work with the Marine and Coast Guard Agency. It's become quite a multifaceted business now, rather than just out of the genesis of codifying a way for people to take part in the sport. So with all that complexity, what would you say your purpose is? Yeah, that's another very good question. And it's something we've been really trying to drill into over the last year, because I think mm-hmm. With the evolution of the way governing bodies, and in particular the RYA, which is a particularly complex one, have evolved, I think sometimes purpose gets a bit left behind. So we've actually taken a lot of this year to strip back the onion skin layers and ask ourselves and our stakeholders what our purpose really is. We have settled very much on saying our role is to create and support others to create that safe space for people to be able to take part in the activity and to do so in a way that is responsible, not only to themselves and other participants, but responsible to the planet and to do so in a way that is safe and enjoyable. 
And it sounds like you've put that issue of sort of safety pretty central. And I can see why doing anything on the water has an element of <laughs> risk. But why is that so central? Safety means different things to different people. There's the obvious safety, as you say, around actually having the skills and the expertise to take part in a technical and physical safety. We also felt that safety goes further than that. And it's about creating a community and a place where people feel safe to take part. They have a sense of belonging. So we're putting things like safeguarding, safeguarding of children and of adults central to what we do. We're putting a sense of well-being and a sense of safety and responsibility towards the planet. So we've very much taken that word safety and stripped it out from the obvious um, meaning of, of physical and technical safety. But we're talking about that sort of safe environment. Mm -hmm. You talked about how you spend a fair amount of time sort of drilling into what the purpose is. How would you actually go about that? You know, who got involved? What meetings did you have? What conversations? What did all that look like? Well, I started this role just over a year ago, and I was lucky enough to have the support of the board to be able to take some time. We had a previous strategy that had come to the end of its life, but had been replaced by a transitional strategy to deal with coming out of COVID. So very much about making sure that we were you know, battening down the hatches, mm -hmm. making sure that we were financially stable, making sure we were supporting our clubs and our participants to literally get back on the water. But we weren't sort of driving a whole lot of new business activity. And that strategy is technically in place until the end of this financial year, so the end of, of March 23. And so I had the luxury of a bit of time to be able to get my feet under the table and to understand more about the environment I was in. And what I came across was, I think, an organization that was fundamentally very strong. The foundations were solid. It was in good financial position. Participation was good. We were bouncing back from COVID. But there was a, a sense of it being slightly institutionalized and a bit slow, and I think it lost its purpose. That There were a lot of really good people doing fantastic jobs. But I think they're slightly running on a little treadmill and doing a great job but not lifting their head up and thinking, why am I doing this? And what's the purpose? What's the impact I'm having on people by the job I'm doing? And I think a lot of sports governing bodies in particular, they've been through quite a transition over the last 10 to 20 years, particularly here in the UK with the introduction of government and lottery funding. So there's a sort of a public sector element to what we do, but we are all also fundamentally, usually governing bodies are often membership bodies. There's a little bit of a natural conflict in those agendas. And so what we do is we took time to actually just really reflect. We spoke a lot to the staff. We've got quite an extensive committee structure, you know, that brings people with expertise from within the sport in to help us form some of our policies and the way we work. I used the fact that I was new as a chance to go and talk to a lot of our stakeholders and just use that to tease out a little bit about what their view of the RYA was and what the RYA's job in a very big, crowded, complex sector was. We'll be launching it in the next couple of months. And for me, the really good thing is that the core purpose that we have settled on was really quite obvious quite quickly. I think we all settled on the fact that we needed to bring inclusion, sustainability, commitment to the environment, safety. We needed to bring this very central to what we did. And we needed to put people rather than boats 
at the forefront of people and their experiences. And we settled on that really quite quickly. And then, like all of these things, actually, we made it far more complicated than we needed to. And then we had to spend a few more months stripping it all back down and coming back down to that real sense of clarity. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of got a sense that it's taken about a year, that it's had varying intensity. Times it's been sort of backburnered at times more in the front. You talked about how the purpose sort of came together quickly. If I had a video of the moments where it was coming together quickly, what would I see? Would it be you sitting in a room by yourself? Would you be in a board meeting? Sort of where and when and how did that happen? I think we did quite a lot of discovery and we talked to a lot of people, but we used it as a chance to bring the senior leadership team together really quite regularly over a period of about two or three months. And that was really beneficial as well, not only for me as the new CEO, but I did also have three or four other people in the team who were relatively new. Mm -hmm. So out of a team of seven, we had two who'd been there for quite a while. We had one who has left during the course of this process and moved on to a new role. So we'd had to recruit a replacement to bring on board. And then we had three of us who'd only been in the organization for anywhere between six and 18 months. And of course, we're coming off the back of COVID. So we used as a really good opportunity, I think, to spend quite a lot of time together. So over the course of three months, probably between about May and August, September, we came together, I think, about seven or eight times for pretty much most of a day. And there were post-it note moments. There were times where we just talked and tried to capture keywords. We settled very much on a word of stickiness at one point. It wasn't so much about bringing more people into the sport. It was about how do we get them to stick? How do we keep them in the sport? And that very quickly brought us to this point that it wasn't about what they were doing. It was about the experience they were having in doing it. It was making sure there was that sense of belonging. It was making sure that if they could see it, they could be it. So visibility of diversity became a, a sort of a key thought that we needed to be really anchoring on. And then from there, it evolved into this sort of safety space, this need to give people that real sense of belonging and making sure that we were really going to be bold about opening up this sport and this activity and this ability to connect with nature and get out on the water to everybody. Yeah, this is our playground. Our playground is nature and nature belongs to everybody. So we need to make sure that our role in that is opening it up to everybody. Mm. I wish there was one light bulb moment. There were definitely days where we felt really energized and we were all on the same page. It was coming together. And then there, if we're honest, there were other days where you could see we all became a bit slopey shouldered and we couldn't see the wood for the trees and we felt we were going round in circles. Yeah, it's a process, isn't it? It's a, it's a real journey. Mm -hmm. It's a real journey. Yeah. So as you were going on that journey, if it, again, if I've got the dynamic, you come in, new CEO, existing strategy that was clearly positioned as kind of a an interim one and you could see it wasn't you know chasing you right then but you could see at some point i've got to replace this started work on the strategy sounds like you then got fairly quickly into purpose because you were from what you were hearing and all when if at all did it sort of shift from okay we're getting clear on the purpose now what's the strategy is it was there a moment like that or was it no actually we were running both of them in parallel for quite a while i think we were probably running both of them in parallel 
whilst there was a real sense that we had identified it, I think we used the the process to continually shape it. And I think the actual wording we have settled on, we probably only nailed quite late in the day. So we had the sense of purpose. We allowed ourselves to park that, head off down the track of going, well, so what does this really mean? What are we going to be doing? And if I'm honest, we've still not nailed all of that. We've now very much got this overarching framework through which we are going to probably spend a lot of the first year properly interrogating what we currently do, what is our baseline, what do we know about what we do, what's the impact of what we do, how do we measure that impact properly, then really get into the more tactical bits of what does this really look like. But we're still getting to that bit, but I think we're all very happy now that we have nailed the overarching strategic framework through which we will create this lens through which we will put everything to ensure that what we are currently doing is relevant and aligns to the outcomes we want to deliver. And that's when we will really start the process of understanding if there are things that we are doing that we can stop or deprioritize and where are the things we need to dial up in order to deliver the outcomes we want to reach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One one of the words you've used a number of times is impact. I'm sort of curious how much you feel the things you're trying to impact have changed through this process and maybe thinking about them slightly differently or adjusting their relative importance. Yeah, I think, again, if I look back, and I've been working in sports administration in the UK for over 20 years now, For quite a long time, certainly when we started to be recipients of public funding, we were being required to measure what I would say are more outputs. So we were being asked to report on the number of participants, the number of members, what was our reach. And that has very much started to shift over the last five to six years around understanding more about what the impact is. And again, I think we're still all on a bit of a journey trying to understand how we do that. So I look at our annual report and it's still very much an output driven report. There's a lot of telling everybody what we're doing. And if I look in the organization, I don't think we're quite set up with the right capabilities yet to think about how we turn that into proper impact reporting. So Mm -hmm. again, we're on a bit of a journey to do that. I think we do know a lot. And we certainly know that we get the most of people. And I know that what makes them tick is when they know they're having an impact. We've just never really done a great job of talking about it that way. So I think this will become really motivating, not only for my fantastic team of employees, but the vast network of volunteers that all sports organizations rely on Mm, mm -hmm. Uh, and our members when they can start to really understand the impact of what we do. And that helps us connect to a purpose that aligns to the membership more so that then they have a much more heart relationship with us than a head relationship. And that's where I want to get to. I want to move our members from feeling like they are members of the RYA because they should be or because they or their family always have been, or because they get some discounts to moving it into a more 
purposeful narrative about them truly understanding what we do. Therefore, their membership supports what we do. And we're managing the here and now, but what we are making sure we are is relevant to the future generations and the health of the sport. One thing that some organizations that have multiple objectives and aren't necessarily driven to generate profit They bring a framework called the theory of change, and I've seen it also used in business organizations where sometimes it's labeled the theory of success. But do you have a sort of worked out, well, if we do this, it'll have that kind of impact, or is that still to come? I think that's still coming. That's work in progress. And actually, the theory of change, I've got one of my colleagues on the senior leadership team who is a real advocate for the theory of change. And we've actually got a session lined up where she's going to be really talking us through that because we want to make sure we've got this sort of framework taking us and what we do over the coming years. I will await further news on how that develops. I think that'll be very interesting. One other thing that I've certainly, I've always been interested in is when organizations are developing strategies, they often, for understandable reasons, work with a relatively small group of people. It sounds like in your case, the senior leadership team to kind of be the nexus, the center of that thinking, however much they're reaching out to other people and all. And then there comes a moment when you need to move beyond that. Often that's positioned as communicating the strategy, but people sometimes use different words. I'm just curious where you are in that and whether you're there already or you're looking ahead to it, how you're going to be doing that. (laughs) You've probably caught us just at that moment where we're nailing that. Mm -hmm. That process kicks off in more earnest over the next couple of weeks, looping back through the board who have been fantastically supportive and have come together regularly during this process. And I've used them in a very open and transparent way to to check the direction of travel, Mm -hmm. to listen to their input. And that's been a good process because we've got some people on our board very much from a business background who are used to much more business focused strategies some who come from much more agile environments and fast-moving tech startup kind of businesses. And yet the world of governing bodies tends to be a little bit slower and a bit more like an oil tanker, but harder to shift. That's not to say we shouldn't be trying to become more agile. And we've been communicating throughout the process in an open and transparent way, because that's very much the leadership style I try to embody with our employees on about two or three different touch points. With our committees, we also decided to go out and talk to people who are voters and consider themselves active participants on the water, but don't see the relevance of the national governing body. Right. They're aware of the RYA. They don't get the relevance of it to them. And how would it enhance their activity? So we've been quite brave, I think, braver than the organization has been previously and I think exposing our, our weaknesses, actually, and help others shape where we're going in the future. So we are now just working through how do we loop all of that back round and go back out with our new strategy, which will not be a surprise to any of them, because certainly every opportunity I've had, we deliver a whole series over the winter of conferences throughout our network. I've spoken publicly. I've very much talked about the direction of travel that we're going on. So when we go out with it, it's not landing as a surprise to anyone. What it is doing is just pulling these strands together into something that hopefully people can come behind and go, aha, I get it. We're not going to have a great big hurrah, here's a new strategy. For me, it's 
something I've just been talking about. This is part of an ongoing process, actually, because I think the first year or two is still going to be quite iterative. It is a difference. It is a change of direction, but without sounding trite, it's a more purposeful change of direction. Therefore, I don't think it needs a big hurrah. And actually, what we need to be doing is living it and showing through our actions and showing through the way we behave, showing through the way we speak more openly, we collaborate better across the sector, that we are just doing things differently. So I don't think we need to be too flashy or smart about it. We need that clarity of message. And one of the questions we put to the board the other day is, would you be comfortable going out and delivering this message? And every one of them said, yes, but actually they needed it a bit tighter. They needed to get it down to that real, what's that little nut in the middle of how they deliver this message? So that's something I'm definitely working on in the next couple of weeks, not least because that's what I want all my 180 employees to be able to go out and tell the members, tell the clubs, tell their neighbours, tell their friends, this is what I do and this is what the organisation I work for does and really be able to deliver that powerfully, succinctly and impactfully. What you've been talking about, it feels like it's an interesting tension. There's a sort of sports element of this, a competitive and then a different dimension of it that's recreational. It's something you do because you enjoy doing it for itself. Maybe at times you enter into a race or whatever, but that your primary engagement is, like you say, being out in the nature, enjoying it, socializing with friends, whatever. Is that a tension or is that, no, no, actually it all fits together very neatly? It's all part of a jigsaw and they're all part of a continuum. But you're right, because it could be children or adults on a lake in dinghies. It could be people with their very expensive large motorboat and they are cruising around the Mediterranean. And in amongst all that, we do have a talent pathway that leads to the British sailing team, which is the most successful Olympic sailing nation in history. And we've topped the Olympic sailing medal table four out of the last five Olympic Games. Yeah, There's a lot of pressure to continue to deliver there. And that's an ever-changing space. There's there's a lot of technology coming in. There's marginal gains. Mm-hmm. And there is a tension there because they want to be myopically focused on what they're doing. And they know that they've got a very clear purpose. They are elite athletes driven to win medals and have success. And almost they find the other messaging around a bit of a distraction. So actually, how do we allow them the space to do what we need them to do? but ensure that they properly understand that actually what they do does have an impact back into the wider organizational strategy that is helping inspire more people to get on the water. So there is a natural tension. right? And within that, there's a natural tension around our commitment to sustainability and to the environment. Because on the one hand, we're talking about how we bring more electric motors into the sport. How do we reduce our carbon footprint and not travel as much? On the other hand, I've got elite athletes who, by their very nature, need to travel the world because they need to go and take part in competitions. They need the best equipment. There are always natural tensions, and that's one of those challenges in a multifaceted organization about how you manage those conflicts. Yeah. And it seems to me you sort of articulated it there that, yes, there are tensions, and yet at a, at a deeper level, there's an enormous kind of self-reinforcing cycle. All our elite athletes started out in a club 
exactly as kids with volunteers with coaches with boats that were probably secondhand you know and making do and somewhere on that journey they found their passion yeah and they've stuck at it part of the job they can do is use their platform as elite athletes to help others find their passion and also importantly some of our athletes are using their platform to really talk about the environment and their commitment to the environment so it's actually giving them the freedom to find what it is that really drives them mm -hmm. and enable them to use their platform to be more powerful and impactful in that. Yeah. As you've been on this journey over the last year or so, what surprised you most through that journey? Just the real love and passion that people have for what they do and therefore actually getting people to talk about purpose has not been difficult. The challenge has been probably moving a body that because of its heritage and its complexity is slightly institutionalized, trying to just get people on that journey that we are going to start to change a bit. We're going to do things a bit differently. And there's quite an inward looking, almost humble thinking that we do a really good job and we're just going to keep doing it and everything works. And actually going, do you know what? We can be bolder. We can put our heads up. We can be proud, not only of what we do, but actually of the role that a lot of other people do. Mm -hmm. And actually, we should be amplifying that and talking a lot more about the fantastic work that a number of charities do in our sector, giving opportunities to people who wouldn't normally have an opportunity to go on boats. It doesn't all need to be about us. We can be really talking about what others in the sector are doing because that fundamentally comes back to what we're all trying to do. And I think the organization, I think it's just been a bit too humble in that space. And it's not been good enough at actually saying, you know, this is a complex landscape, but we're actually one of the biggest players in that. And one of the roles we can play is to help join the dots and support and enable others in the sector to also be better at what they're doing. Mm. You sort of have a degree of organizing power or convening power, whatever you can bring people together. Convening's a word we came to, actually. You've just reminded me, when we started out on this process, we were looking at a lot of words. And the sort of words that came up in what we were doing were things like protecting and promoting and positioning. Mm -hmm. And we started to sort of shift from some of those words into this more convening and collaborating kind of space. Yeah. Mm. Um, what, what was the most difficult part? There was a period where we couldn't see the wood for the trees. And I think we questioned whether we had bitten off more than we could chew by going down this different route. And would it be easier to sort of go back to the framework we had, but perhaps put different threads running through it? And I think we did spend a few weeks toying with that. And it just didn't feel like that was going to bring about the shift that I wanted as a new leader. We went out and we did a consultation in November quite wide. You know, I think what will be really good when we go back out again is people will see we changed. We've changed from what we took out in November. We definitely didn't go out and expect it to be rubber stamped. But we probably got more feedback than I thought we were going to get. So we did have to go back to the drawing board a little bit. Mm -hmm. So it's been quite a long process, and I think we're looking forward to now locking that framework in and turning it into meaningful action.
It sounds, Sarah, like you're in a, a sweet spot. You've got a strategy that's actually pretty different. And yet it's not going to land in the organization or with your stakeholders or anybody else as, as this big, ta-da, here we go off in some different direction. It's going to land like, oh, yeah, we kind of been talking about that for a while. I just think that's a brilliant, brilliant place to get to. Yeah, I, th I think you're absolutely right, Belden. It is fundamentally different, but it shouldn't be coming as a big surprise. What would you say the impact's been on your leadership team? I think it's been a really good process for us to get to know each other. As, as quite a, a new team, it's been really good to have a couple of people on that team who have been with the organization for more than 10 years because they anchor us back and they make sure we don't go off on a tangent and that we are always cognizant of perhaps why things are the way they are or where things might have been tried. That has been a really healthy mix. It's been a good opportunity, I think, for us to really just get to know each other. We've had some humorous moments. We've had a lot of fun doing it, but I think it has also tested us. And there have been times where we've all slightly got frustrated with the process. So that's given us a chance to see how we work as a team. And were you personally changed through the process? You know, what have you learned along the way? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. I'm probably one I need to reflect on more. I think what I have learned is that what I started out saying to the employees at the organization, I remember doing some of my early sort of all staff meetings and I talked about how we were going to spend some time really re-examining our purpose and making sure that, you know, we all knew why we were doing what we were doing. As we've gone on the process, I've absolutely realized how important it was. And that wasn't just me as a new leader saying, this is what I want to do. But actually, the more we've taken that time, the more I've listened to the staff and the employees and the volunteers, I've realized how important it was to take the time to reconnect back. What advice might you give to a leader of a different organization that was beginning to grapple with their own organization's purpose and how it gets reflected in a strategy? I think if you have the luxury of time to take the time to do it. But maybe from the outset, be quite clear about when your end point is, because I think you can drag it. And I think on reflection, we've probably dragged it a little bit too long. There were times when we probably just put it on the back burner and actually should have kept going on it a little bit more and just pushed on through. I think clarity of the timetable you're aiming to, because I think that would have given us a little bit more focus at times when we were feeling a little unfocused. Yeah, yeah. What haven't I asked you about that you wish I had? Maybe about how we connected with the outside stakeholders. Because for me, that was an important thing to do. I hope we've done it enough. Yeah, I'm not sure I did it as well as I would like to have done it, if I'm honest. I think if I'd set out from the beginning, again, I would have maybe sort of mapped uh, half a dozen really key stakeholders that I could have used it as an opportunity to go and properly build a new relationship with. Be really prepared to expose what I knew or didn't know, but I wasn't sure that the organization was quite ready for that. So I sort of scratched the surface, but I probably didn't use it as much as I could have done. And what I probably will do, because as we launch it, we're saying it's a five-year strategy set against a long-term vision. And I've said very openly that because we've got more work to do in the first year or two years to really understand 
where we are before we can really understand where we're going to get to. I will probably use that time to now go out and talk more openly and freely with other stakeholders. I mean, you've sort of said to reset your relationships with some of your key stakeholders, but also to open up a space to be a bit more creative about what that collaboration might even mean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Big supporter of collaboration. Yeah, there are a lot of people doing really good work and, you know, let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's lift them up and enable them to do what they're doing even better than they're doing it. You're right. I think launching this strategy will give me an opportunity to go and really, you know, reset and be open about what does this look like, not just for us, but for you. Hmm. Well, Sarah, this is for me, this has been both a bit of an education, but also really inspiring. And I wish you and uh, RYA really well. I'll look forward to hearing kind of how you get on with some of these things. Thanks for joining us. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.